Uh, thank you, John and Narda, for just leading us into the presence of God. So thank you guys for that. <clears throat> Today, what we're going to be talking about is that we're going to be talking about appetites and desires. I kind of figured it. We just got done with Thanksgiving, so I think it'd be <laughs> fitting. <laughs> um, but like, we're not going to be talking about like the good appetites and like the good desires that we have, because God places those in our hearts. But um, we're going to be talking about like the ones that can rob us from the hope that God has placed in our lives, uh, that can rob us from the anointing that God has or wants to place in your life. And just where we can make a trade that will rob us something from the future. And, you know, one thing that that I'm absolutely certain about is that our appetites and our desires are strong, both good and bad. And, God has placed those desires in our hearts, but sin can distort them. And, you know, forgive me for talking about this topic for a quick second, even though it's almost 11. But just just think about sex real quick. But just don't think about it for too long. You know, created for procreation and for enjoyment between a husband and a wife. But now it's a $13 billion industry. And the appetites of men and women have distorted it. You know, like, there's still, like, an okay amount of people that still treat sex with its value the way that God intended it to be. But the majority of people, it's just like an everyday thing now. And that's not the way that God intended it to be. You know, it, sex is something that was meant for later, but people trade that later for now in genesis 3 um we uh we see adam and eve were convinced of an appetite they didn't know they had they were given rule over everything god created the garden of eden for them and god said you're free to just work it and just make sure it's good but make sure you just don't eat of this one certain tree and you know i feel like adam and eve were like cool, like, yeah, like, no problem, like, we can do that, like, I feel like they weren't questioning it, I feel like they weren't pacing back and forth in the garden, wondering to themselves, like, well, why doesn't God want us to eat of this one tree, you know, like, is God hiding something from us, like, I feel like they weren't doing that at all, it wasn't until that the serpent came into the picture and started speaking into an appetite they didn't know they had, are you sure that God told you to not eat of that certain tree, You're not going to die. You'll just be exactly like God, too. Our appetites and our desires say two things. The first thing that they say is that they want more. They want more. And Satan takes our desires and our appetites, and he distorts them, which leads them wanting to say they want more, and they want more. Our appetites and desires are never fully satisfied. I'm sure you guys have probably experienced this at least probably once in your life. But you're at the Thanksgiving dinner. You just finished eating your plate of food. And you think to yourself, like, that's it. I'm not going to eat anything anymore. I'm done. I'm tapping out. Like, there's nothing left for me to give. There's nothing left for me to eat. But then you remember you got that apple pie waiting for you. And then you remember you got that pecan pie waiting for you. And it's like, ooh, who said they were full? Not me. What? No. Pecan. But, but, huh? Oh, y'all bunch. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Pecan. Pecan. I am sorry. 
but you still got that dessert waiting for you. That's the main point I'm trying to get at. You still got that dessert waiting for you. Exactly. Exactly. So you wait a little bit to, for the food to digest, and then you go more for your appetite. Or I've only heard of guys really doing this. I'm not sure if ladies ever do this. But um, have you guys ever just, like, been in, like, a craving for, like, a little, like, a little snack? Like, nothing to, like, make sure you're full, but just, like, something small. So you go to your fridge, and you go to your, you go to your fridge, and you go to your pantry, and you look inside it, and nothing's really grabbing your attention. So you close the door, you sit back down, only for five minutes to pass, and then you go back to the exact same spot with some hope of, like, something new to magically appear. But it doesn't work that way, but yet somehow we still, we still do it. Adam and Eve weren't the only ones that were convinced of an appetite. Uh, David, good old King David, he was married. He had an anointing on his life to be king. Um, he was called a man after God's own heart. And he's widely known for his story of killing Goliath. But there was also another story that he's widely known for. It was when a lady caught his eye while she was taking a bath. And her name was Bathsheba which I just find hilarious. (laughs) And his desire for her was so strong that he literally sent men on the spot saying, hey, go get her. Like, just go get her. And then if you know the story, she ends up getting pregnant and it just goes into a downward spiral for him. He sets up a plan for Bathsheba's husband. She was also married. For Bathsheba's husband to be killed And it just starts going a little bit downhill for him. And we also have Judas, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet his appetite and desire for money was so strong at that time that he sold the Savior of the world for an amount that you would would sell a slave. And I say that his appetite for um, money was strong at that time because we later on read that he actually threw the money back at the leading Pharisees. And now, whenever you hear the name of Judas, it's tied to a betrayer. Like, when you hear the name Judas, it's usually nothing good. Like, it's just automatically tied to that betrayer. Now, if you know somebody named Judas, and, like, he's a cool guy, like, no offense to him (laughs) at all, but, like, without even thinking about it, and people who aren't Christians, they hear the name Judas, and it's like, oh, it's that dude that betrayed somebody, right? Yes. Yeah, that's him. So there are two things that our appetites and desires say. The first one was that it wants more, and the second is that it wants it now and not later. And if you listen to those kind of appetites, and if you listen to those kinds of of desires you'll trade something that was meant to be for you in the future and you'll trade that for now uh can we have the second corinthians ten fifteen verse up please oh did i say 15 my bad 10 5 cool awesome now i would like everybody's help and we're all going to be reading this scripture together all right ready three two one We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Thank you. That was really hard for me. (laughs) 
we are to take hold and we are to take captive to every thought and place it under the authority of Christ. What's also in our thoughts is our imaginations, also our desires and our appetites. So we are to take those things and we place them under the lordship and the authority of Christ. And we tell them that you don't have a place in my head and you don't have a place in my heart. And when we do that, what we're doing is that we are denouncing the lies of what the enemy is trying to feed us. We're denouncing the lies of what is trying to tell us of just like, hey, you need more of this certain thing. You're not full enough. You still need more of this certain thing. And also, it's present to you right now. It may not be present to you later, so might as well just go for it. Like, your opportunity is placed right up in front of you. You don't know if it'll be present for you later on in the future, so just go ahead and take it since it's right in front of you. We want now what was meant for us to be later on in the future. We trade today for what was meant for us to be later on in the future. See, your ability or inability to manage your appetite and desire will determine the direction of your future. Don't you wish that we knew that when we were younger? Don't you wish that we knew that when we were going to take that certain drink, when we were going to look at that certain magazine or at that certain video, when we were going to take that medicine that would become something later on in the future. If we knew that, sim- that, uh, that simple line of if we can manage our appetites and desires, it'll, it, it'll change the direction of our future, it would probably save us years of struggling. It would save it. We can have back the time that was wasted on the struggles. In Genesis 25, we read that's where the story of Jacob and Esau, where Esau sells his birthrights. And this is where we're going to be at today. This is going to be the main story that we're going to be looking at. So if you want to turn with me to Genesis 25. And we're going to be looking at the section of Esau sells his birthrights. Awesome. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful, a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, First, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. The first time that I read this story, I was a senior in high school. I was riding the bus to school, and I whipped out my Bible, 
And uh, I, was, uh, I was trying to do a thing where I was trying to read the whole Bible in a year. It took me three years instead. And I was on this section. And the first time that I read it, I thought to myself, like, wow, this guy is dumb. <laughs> like, th- this dude really traded his birthrights over some stew. As if, like, senior me knew exactly what was in a birthright. <laughs> so this is what a birthright as a firstborn son would usually come with. It would, you would get two times the inheritance compared to the siblings. You would become the head of the family. You would be the spiritual leader. Uh, the younger siblings would serve under you, and you would get a special blessing. And Esau treated all of that future stuff for some stew at the moment. He traded it for now. How many of you are the oldest of your siblings? How many of you are the youngest of the siblings? Sorry if you're in the middle. <laughs> but, you know, being, being the youngest, you know, you're spoiled. You get away with much more things. And, like, you want to do whatever it is that your older siblings are doing. You want to tag along with them. And being the oldest, when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're trying to do your thing, you don't want to also take care of your little sibling that's trying to tag along with you. Or at least that's how it went with my family. I'm not sure about your family. You and your siblings probably would have been like BFFs and you tagged and you guys did everything together with friends. So if that doesn't apply to you, then oops, that's okay. <laughs> and like the oldest sibling, like most of the time you... You can't really go to your younger siblings and, like, ask them for, like, help on your homework. Or, like, you can't, like, really ask them for, like, life advice. I mean, you can, but it probably won't be the greatest. But, or you? I don't know. They, they, they may be really wise. But in this case, the oldest is asking from the younger sibling. And Jacob is feeding off the desperation of his brother, and he decides to go big. If you want some stew, fine, but just trade me your rights as the firstborn first. And Esau agrees. He says, fine, like, cool, yeah, like, take my birthrights. Like, I'm, I'm dying of starvation. I need this food now. And so he eats the food. And what's crazy about it is that he was already home. Like, if he waited, like, I don't know, like three minutes, I'm pretty sure he would have eaten, like trade-free. Like, at least that's how I see it. And I also see the scripture of, look, I'm dying of starvation. I feel like there's some exaggeration going on. And just a FYI, your appetite and desires do that too. They exaggerate their feelings. They exaggerate their needs. Which I guess makes sense for them to say that they want more and that they want it now. They'll tell you a lie of if you don't get it now, you're not going to get it later on in the future. What's the point of my birthrights if I'm going to die? Jacob said, Esau, Swear to me that you're going to sell me your birthrights. He wanted to make sure that he was going to get the birthrights and not be played. He wanted to make sure that he was going to get it. 
So Jacob gave Esau the stew. He ate it. He left. And that's it. All of that future blessing gone over some stew that he wanted now due to an exaggeration. I'm going to die. I need this. It's crazy, isn't it? It's really crazy. Esau traded his social power of the family. He traded his future possessions. He traded his future blessings over an appetite that would probably last three minutes. It's bizarre. And maybe you think to yourself, like, yeah, it is absolutely bizarre, and I'm there with you. I also think it's absolutely crazy. But I know for me, the only reason I'm saying that it's absolutely crazy is because I probably haven't had the rights to present it to me. And you probably haven't had the rights to present it to you. If someone or an opportunity offered you something that you've always longed for, wouldn't you possibly think of like, I think I might take this too. If you had your greatest desires available to you now at this time, if he or she was standing right in front of you, wouldn't you hesitate for like a quick second of just like, do I want this? Do I want to take this stew that's presented to me? Our appetites and desires are extremely powerful. And there may have been a time where you were presented with an appetite or with a desire. And you built up all the strength to say no to it. But man, was that the hardest no that you've ever had to say in your life? Each of us could be played. Each of us could be swayed and fooled by the enemy. I mean, if he did it to Adam and Eve, if he did it to to David, and if he did it to Judas, he can certainly do it to you and to me too. You know, I'm, I'm not too sure about your job or in your profession, but in pastoral ministry, you know, we can't behave a certain kind of way. We can't do certain things. We can't act in a certain kind of way. Um, for pastors in Foursquare, we have this thing called the minister's code of ethics that we are to follow. And I'm sure other denominations probably have has something similar for their pastors where they're set to a standard that they have to follow. And I'm sure you've probably read an article. I'm sure you've probably read a video. I mean, uh, seen a video <laughs> of pastors either stepping down or they're asked to step down. And usually the headline goes is that they're being stepped down due to moral failure. And just like that, their ministry is gone. And just like that, their blessings, they traded that for something now. I had a professor who would tell us that each year it would break his heart because he would either receive an email, he would receive a text or a phone call, and even one time a physical letter of students who had went through the Foursquare licensing process and later on, they either fallen from their faith or oh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> they either fallen from their faith or they simply did something so just um, out of the ordinary that they had lost their ministry and that they lost their licensing, their uh, other pastoral license. They traded 
an appetite for their future. They traded their calling that God has placed in their life for some stew, for an appetite. James 1.14 says that that temptation comes from our desires, which entice us and drag us away. Our desires and appetites are powerful. They want more and they want it now. I need this food. If I don't get this food, I'm going to die. It exaggerates its needs and it amplifies it out of proportion. The exaggerates its needs and amplifies its proportion is also something that can be fit under um, buyer's remorse. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you need that certain item, but then once you get it and you use it like once a year, you've come to terms of just like, maybe I would have been better without this certain thing. Or you're walking into a store and you see an item, you see a certain item that's on sale. And you think to yourself, when is this ever going to be on sale again? And you know you're supposed to be saving up money for a certain something, but yet you think to yourself like, when will this ever be on sale again? You know what? I'm going to take it. Okay, yeah, 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 fine, cool. And it's, it's in that exact same trip that you go to the store to buy two things, but you leave with like 15. And you forget those two things that you went to the store for. Your mind will lie to you that your appetite and your desires need this certain thing. It needs that certain thing. It will lie to you. And we got to be careful. We got to be careful when we just simply allow our appetites and our desires to come freely in us. Where we can just very easily just fall into them. Because that's how unhealthy habits form. And that's how addictions get created. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Because if it's in my heart, it'll eventually come out onto my life. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your hearts will also be. Matthew six twenty one, And in John eight thirty one thirty two, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And you will know the truth if the truth and, and the truth will set you free. And the enemy is smart. The enemy knows that you know the truth. So he gets your appetites and he gets your desires. He twists them and they grab your focus. And they grab your focus so strong that for a quick second, you even forget what truth is. For a split second, you forget what God has spoken over you in your life. You forget what your future blessings are waiting for you. You just want when you want, when you want it. And most of the time, we want things now. That's how it usually goes. And, you know, in this story, I wish I could be with Esau and just do something that God probably would never do. I'll talk about that later. But I wish I could just be with Esau and just kind of tell him, like, hey, this is what could happen if you don't trade your birthrights. You're going to have kids down the line, specifically 12. And those 12 kids are going to have a large family. And that large family is going to become the nation of Israel. And they're going to be God's chosen people. And then later on, they're going to move to a place called Egypt, where they'll sadly be like a slave nation for like 400 years. But they're going to be crying for God throughout that time. And God will hear them. And God will raise up a dude named Moses. 
And God is going to meet Moses eventually in a burning bush. And God is going to introduce himself as, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Esau. He will be the God of Esau. And then later on in the future, when God sends his son, Jesus, on earth, he's going to have a disciple named Matthew. And Matthew is going to be writing a book with the most creative title ever, Matthew. And at the beginning of Matthew, he's going to say, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Esau. But as we know, that's not how it goes at all. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob got all of that blessing. Jacob is in the genealogy of Jesus. He's the one that's talked about. When somebody is falling and failing and about to do something that is going to drastically change their life, we are the ones that got to step in and just be with them. We got to, like, grab them by the collar and just kind of tell them, like, you're too valuable to go down this road. Like, don't go down this road. Like, please, to that family member that's making bad decisions, to your coworker that you're getting closer to, to the one that's actually wanting the help. We just got to grab them and say, fine, let's go down a road that will help you get better. Esau traded his blessings without realizing how much really it was really worth. So if we develop the habit of reframing our appetites and desires in the context of what God has called you to, things can go different for you. And you know, the culture is so dependent on, it's so dependent on like the drive-through, the microwave, the fast internet, the Amazon two-day shipping. I actually talked about this a little bit. And, you know, we're, we're conditioned to the, I've got to have it now. And I've got to have it just period. I've got to have it the fastest way that I can. But can we please be the ones to not be so worried about having things in our possession like now? Can we be the ones not so worried about treating something that's supposed to be for the future for now? Even though the now may give you a shortcut in life, and even though the now may make the pain go away temporarily, and I mean, as long as you're not feeling the, taint, the pain temporarily, like you're down to try whatever. But the thing is that if you trade the now for something that's going to cost you in the future, just don't even do it. And I completely understand that Esau didn't know what his future was going to look like. He didn't know that all of these amazing things could have happened in his life if he didn't just simply trade it. And I get that. Neither do we. We don't know. 
but we also don't know the kind of things that God's going to place in your life, and we don't know the kind of things God can unlock in your life either. We need, to re- we need to reframe certain appetites and desires, and we need to refrain from certain appetites and desires, especially the ones that we know we can't get through by ourselves. Somebody needed to reframe, to reframe Esau's appetite because it would have been so much better for him in the future if he didn't just simply trade his rights as the firstborn. And sometimes that's a gamble, definitely, where we, we have something in front of us and we can take it and run with it. But how are we sure that something in the future isn't better than what's presented to us now? Like, yeah, that's a problem, definitely, but that's just when faith and trust in God comes in. That's when your relationship with God with Christ has to come in. And that's when you have to pray of just like, is this from you? Can I have this now? Or is there something better for me waiting in the future? If you know what that certain stew is in your life, if you know the kind of things that would just make you fall and crumble, like put some barbed wire around it. Like, put an alarm on it. Like, bring your, tr- bring your trusted ones around you to just hold you accountable to make sure that if that stew is ever present in your life again, that they'll push it away and they'll hold you back just to make sure that you don't fall to it. God is still working in your guys' life. He has a plan for you. He's not done with you. you can, as far as you know, like, you can make, like, a spiritual impact in your work. Like, God can unlock, like, a spiritual gift for you. He can lock a new passion in your heart that will bring glory to the kingdom and bring people closer to Christ through you. And, like, if God were to tell you what your future looked like, kind of how, like, as if I were to tell Esau everything that would have happened, like, I don't know, I think we, like, explode something. I, I, I have no idea. So God tells us, our future in pieces. He, he gives it to us in pieces. And we know that. Like, I'm not saying anything new. I'm not saying anything revolutionary. Like, we know he gives it to us in pieces. And, you know, if, am I allowed to be honest in here? Like, do you guys want a real authentic Jerry real quick? So I have done a similar trade in my life where I traded something that was meant for the future and I traded that for something that I wanted now. I'll, I got into a relationship that God told me multiple times, you need to get out of it. You need to get out of it. But my actions were telling God like, no, I want what I have place given to me now and I'm going to take it and I'm going to run with it. And God just simply said, fine fine and now healed up and gone closer to god it kind of made me realize that like okay i see why this was meant to be for the future i see why i i made a bad trade i made a bad trade but in that i grew in wisdom with god 
So don't make a trade today. Don't sell something today for what God wants to possibly give you later on in the future. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord. Father God, I just pray right now for all of our hearts to be turned to you. Lord God, I pray for our ears to hear your voice, Lord God. Father, I pray for a strengthening in our relationship in you, Lord. Father, I pray for the t- when the temptation comes, Lord God, for the right stew that's present in our life. Lord, I pray that we don't so easily fall into it, Lord God. But I pray that we come to you in wisdom and we ask you, Lord, that is this from you or is there something better for us waiting for, in the, waiting for us in the future? Lord, I pray as we go on throughout our day, Lord God, that we'll just bring you glory and we'll just bring you praise because you are worthy of it all, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And John's going to come up and close us out. Thank you, Lord. That was a good word. It's a good word, Jerry. Thank you. You know, we need to reframe and refrain. I know an artist is going to like that, so she's going to, she likes those kinds of things. So, uh, reframe, refrain. Hey, also, here's the good news. Uh, we can probably, all of us, depending on how much life we've lived, uh, we've all made that trade at one point. Some of them are smaller or bigger than others, uh, but there's not one of us that would, uh, go back and, wouldn't wish we could go back and say, I can trade it, but here's the good news that with, with Jesus, uh, he can re, he can rewrite our history. That the blood of Jesus, uh, covers that, that we're on this side of the cross. Uh, we're not stuck on the other side like Esau was. We're on this side of the cross. And so that's, that's good news as well. But thank you for, for opening yourself up, Jerry, and being honest. So if, if you need prayer, maybe, maybe you just, God just touched your life and just said, man, hey, you need to, you need to deal with that right now. Um, we're going to have a few of our leaders up here. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. If, if you still need prayer for anything else that maybe it's not related to the message or what's going on, uh, please come up and, and receive prayer. Uh, but if not, you're, you're dismissed to go.